Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerninghearts.com presents Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Dr. Turek is a professor of theology and chair of Domatic Theology at St. Patrick's Seminary and University. She received her doctorate in Sacred Theology at the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Her other publications include Towards a Theology of God the Father, Atonement, Soundings in Biblical Trinitarian and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Here is your host, Evan Collins. Something that would be important just to highlight is that this is a way of reading the Bible that might not seem normative for some people is that this is exactly the understanding of the spiritual meaning of the text in the sense of when we're looking at the Old Testament, if we don't see this act of Trinitarian love, Christ, as he reveals the Trinity in the Old Testament, we're not getting the full picture. So whenever we see God acting or the punishments for sin occurring or these sorts of things like on the people if we don't understand it in the context of the full scope of the father's plan of love culminating in Christ freely choosing to atone for us on the cross. And then of course the Holy spirit being completely present and enabling us to participate within that in the most intimate way imaginable, we're going to be very confused when we read the old Testament because we're not going to grasp that, but there's the twofold, like St. Jerome says, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ, but ignorance of Christ is ignorance of scripture. So if we're reading the Old Testament and we're looking at sin apart from this mindset, we're not going to understand it. And so something I was thinking as you were speaking is these are very helpful, almost shorthand things to keep in mind as you're reading the scriptures to be like, how do I see this here in the way that God is interacting with his chosen people. And that helps us understand Jesus as the complete fulfillment of all of these things in in his person. But to kind of take it a little bit of a different direction there, I think this is completely relevant to our life as well, this notion of sin. I think this is a way that we experience sin too. Can you speak into that, that this Old Testament, quote unquote, this Old Testament notion of the fathers, you use that big word in the book, patrogenerative, I think is what you say or something like that. It's like the love that's generated from the father that allows us to have that engendered mirroring love. You use that word within us because it is the father's free initiative. It's not, I don't sit here and I go, oh, I just really want to love God. And then it's a work that I accomplish in myself, but it's something that the father has already started to accomplish in me. And then I consent within that as a, in an active receptivity that is part of the spiritual life. And that changes the entire way that I bear the sinful thing that is happening to me. So that that's, and that's kind of how it ends up working in a practical way. But can you perhaps maybe give an example 
in normal life that we would see this process not using the the theologian jargon, you know? <laughs> I'll give that a shot. Now, Evan, let me, um, I wanted to say a couple of ideas and they're just floating up here. And if okay. they're too unrelated, just brush them away like <laughs> annoying flies. Okay, uh, and sure. then I'll, I'll get to this. I want to make sure that I'm on the same wavelength with, with you and, and that I know where you're trying to lead me. But one of the things you had said moments ago, you're talking about the contemporary context. And just as I had had a distorted um, sort of image of, of God the Father prior to this moment where the eyes of my heart were healed and I could see him truly in Christ crucified, a lot of us have a, a distorted even notion of, of love, of love. And of sin, of love. I just want to say this: why this, why the revelation of God the Father, God the Son incarnate, and God the Holy Spirit is so vital to the healing of the eyes of our heart to understand true love. Is that this is this is a love, divine love. It's unswerving. It's unrelenting. In this respect, it's unconditional. God, it's irrevocable. Today, how many of us is I'm going to love under these conditions? And as soon as I'm feeling a little bit out of sorts, a little bit of pain or whatever, or I believe it's costing me too much, I'm out of here. One of the, to my mind, what is so awesome about the God of Jesus Christ and the, the triune God, because all three divine persons were involved in the cross event, is that this, our God, is unrelenting in his love for us. So that here he is, he initiates this relationship of love that always already aims to be fulfilled in this everlasting mutuality of love, this life of lover and beloved, of generative love and engendered love, of sort of uh, modeling love and mirroring love, all of that, la, 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 la. When we mess that up, when we turn our backs to him, he doesn't simply, he's not content to let us go. He will pursue us. Because he created us such that our only real joy will lie in this place before the Father, the place of the beloved before the loving Father, and the role, the life of one loved and loving in turn. And so that's very cool. This God is committed. This is a love that is committed and won't tire and won't tire. And won't diminish. God is not going to violate our free choice in the matter whatsoever, but he is going to do everything he can to bring us to our senses in a sense. And that's really it. He wants to bring us to our senses about the reality of his love for us and what that can mean for us. What I was kind of inching you towards is I love one of the analogies that you use in the book to describe this idea of love suffering that we're talking about here. I particularly like the analogy that you use of the, the woman who cheats on her husband. And 
I think that this can help make concrete these concepts in a way that I think we've all can imagine or experience or see in some way. Evan, that's great. I'm going to go ahead and read it, Evan, because I'm afraid if you just let me speak (laughs) spontaneously, I'll ramble on and the sun will go down. What's the Uh, um, uh, page number? It's page 72. And I want to explain that I chose this relationship because it's found this illustration, it's found in the Old Testament. That is, here I'm trying to illustrate a reciprocal, notice again, a mutual, a reciprocal pattern of love and work between God and Israel, Yahweh and Israel. And in the face of sin, this pattern of reciprocal love is going to play out as Forgiveness, atonement. So I I open up the Old Testament and you'll find places such as the uh, book of the prophet Hosea, where the relationship between Yahweh, the lover, and Israel, the beloved, is depicted in terms of a husband and wife, a spousal relationship. So here goes. Imagine a married couple with children. Imagine that the wife began to look at pornography on the internet. Because you know in the book of the prophet Hosea, the wife gets involved in prostitution and okay. The wife began to look at pornography on the internet. And after a few months, she moved beyond this to finding internet chat rooms and participating in virtual affairs. Next, she actually started to meet these strangers up close and personal. At first, she was discreet about it, going to hotels while her husband was at work and her children at school. But as she grew more and more a slave to her lust, she no longer gave thought to the consequences of her actions. These casual affairs began to consume her attention and time, leading her to neglect her responsibilities to her children and husband. Eventually, her neglect of the children became so obvious that her affairs were discovered, and her husband was profoundly hurt by his wife's infidelity and deeply grieved and angered by her indifference to their children. He told her that he was willing to forgive her, but she proved unwilling to give up this lifestyle. And when she continued to have adulterous affairs, Hosea would say to run after those false gods, he sought a legal separation in custody of their children. But he continued to love her despite his pained heart and remained committed to work toward reconciliation. As for the wife, at first she enjoyed the state of separation. But eventually her heart grew sickened by lust and yearned for love. And she asked to visit her children again, which her husband granted. And during these visits, and now the rest is key, during these visits, she came to realize the extent of her husband's love for her. She saw that he was willing to keep his spousal love alive, even if he he had to suffer the separation 
that resulted from her infidelities, in seeing her husband's willingness to bear separation while continuing to love her, she experienced a rekindled love for him. Now, with her love revived, she felt the separation from her family now as something grievous. Now she was pained by what she had done in spurning her marriage and family. And yet since it was precisely love that enabled her to experience this separation as painful, a love model and inspired by her forgiving husband, she was in reality closely united with him, moved by his love, his enduring love. She was resolved to do whatever it took for as long as it took to purge her heart of lust and selfishness. So even though husband and wife continued for a time to be legally separated, separation was already being transformed into a space reserved for their mutual love, a space in which estrangement was suffered through and nullified its opposite, communion of hearts. To achieve complete reconciliation required that the unfaithful one be turned around and repositioned as a mirroring counterpart to her husband's forgiving love. That is, being near to her husband in suffering, out of love, his absence. Say that again. This is how reconciliation is brought about and how she atones for her sin. Empowered, inspired, and empowered, moved by the showing, the manifestation of the husband's unswerving, forgiving love through its pain, its willingness to suffer his beloved's absence without revoking his love, in seeing such a love and letting that love engender in her, her own heart a, a mirroring attitude. What's happening here is that the distance that her sin, her adultery wrought between them, that distance is now transformed into, let's say, it becomes material for their union of hearts. Now, you've got two hearts who, out of love, are enduring the consequences of her sin in such a way that the, the primary consequence of her sin Distance, separation, estrangement, that consequence is turned around. It's transformed like a coat turned inside out to now be a space in which these hearts are united together, commonly asserting their love, mutual love against sin wrought separation. We'll return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app 
in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Yeah, that's kind of the personal illustration of that idea we were talking about entering into the counterfeit image and then transforming it because we are made for communion. We're not made for separation. We're not made for alienation. We're not made to be forsaken, but we're made to be completely sought after, and we're made to be united with each other. But in a way, of course, that preserves our who we are as a person, but it's so powerful that we are really united together like a married couple. And so I can see already here in this story now that hearing it again, I, I really see the Christological implications of this as well, because this is what Jesus bears. Um, he too bears this type of love for us, But we won't get into that just yet because I want to go back over. So there was those three factors integral to the process of atonement. We've we've only said one. We've implied some of the others in this sense. 
The first one is God's sovereignly free initiative of love. And we talked about how that's generative and exemplary in nature, that that's the love that comes to us from the father. Like this is the, the son only does what he sees the father doing. And this is the love that God has for us that enables us to be able to respond in love back because love seeks for mutuality. It's not for one person. There's no such thing as selfish love. It's just not love if it's selfish. And then the second thing is, and this is, I think key, is God's passionate involvement with his covenant partner. And we're kind of in here now because we're already implying that in the context of marriage, because that's what this is. There's a partnership going on. There's that covenantal partnership and there's this passionate involvement. And we're seeing that in the husband in that he is bearing all of this in love for his wife's transformation. He already is in the right. He's not, (laughs) he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. (laughs) And notice he is the first, he is the first to willingly out of love bear in paternal fashion here or spousal fashion part of the husband. He's the first to bear the effects of sin in his own man. It's not passive. There's an active thing going on there. Exactly. It's that that love, and here let's let's fast forward to that hymn to love that we find in St. Paul's letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, where he says, love bears all things, endures all things without coming to an end. That bearing, that enduring, it's no mere passivity. It's a work. It's an action of love. It's This love is all powerful to bear, to endure without revoking love, that's a work itself. That's an active dimension of love. Yeah, this um, is not a hallmark card. When usually I think when we think of that verse in St. Paul, we always associate it with the fluffiness of a wedding. But in in there's in St. Paul's mind, love is the cross. <laughs> love is the crucifixion that Jesus endures for us. So we use the word passion and we think of um, they're, they're so passionate about that thing or whatever, but um, passion for the Christian is the passion, you know, Mel Gibson's film, <laughs> you know, like that sort of a thing. That's what we have in mind here. Whenever we're talking about love endures all things, it bears all things. That is what St. Paul is speaking to us. And exactly what you say at the beginning of the book, what we want to highlight in these discussions is that Jesus's act of atonement, the Father's act, action in the work of atonement, the Holy Spirit's presence in the work of atonement, it's all meant to be a sign, just like um, the serpent that's lifted up and that we look at it and we see it's all meant to elicit the profession of faith in us to where we get to say, see how much he loves us. See how much he loved us. He did this for us. And so it is supposed to be God is in his passion and involvement, which we already established. He is love in and of itself. So it's not like God's changing to be involved with us. So he's, it's not, he doesn't become passable to use that theological term, but he stays impassable. Yes. There's nothing that changes it's an about powerful. Him. Yes, Yes. passion of love. Uh Mm -hmm. Because he is that love. So it's like what is happening there then is that God is doing this act of gratuitous love to elicit a response in us, but not just to elicit a response to us, but like a really good lover, Jesus is showing us, I completely understand 
everything that you could experience. I completely understand everything you can experience. And that's what he's showing us in that. So that's how passionate his involvement is with his covenant partner. And just to kind of elucidate this a little bit more, this is what's going on in the entire Old Testament um, with God and his chosen people. And then Jesus is showing us that in himself, and then especially through the works of St. Paul, we see this is actually God's plan for every single person that's ever existed. And this is what has been going on in the Father's mind. But Jesus shows us as a real image that we can see and grasp. He shows us the reality of the love, but in the actual performance of the atonement, he makes this reality possible. That's So it's, it's not a thought experiment. This is not something that we just are thinking, wow, that's a really good idea that, no, this actually happened like Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or anything. This is the myth that really occurred. There's no, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Christianity is historical and the act of atonement happened in history. Jesus is the God man. He really was a man, but he was also God. <laughs> and so that's how passionate God's involvement is. The whole world goes topsy-turvy in the sense of everything we want to do to separate God, because that's how passionately God's involved yes. for yes. us. Yes. Evan, as you were talking, I wanted to, you, rightly, you focused immediately on Christ, concentrated on Christ as the, the revealer of, of the Father, of God's passion of love for us. Even earlier in chapter one, which is devoted to uh, atonement in the Old Testament, we can go back to Hosea, that was the basis for this illustration between husband and wife that, you know, I, I create, I develop, imagine. Hosea, the prophets are called by God. In order for God to elicit the mirroring response he seeks, he has to show, if you will, un- reveal, disclose his own heart. He has to show us his divine subjectivity. He has to show us his heart, unveil it to us. Well, in the prophet, the book of the prophet Hosea, poor Hosea, God calls this man to become the embodiment. He's a mere man. He's not a God man. But Hosea, as a mere man, is called to be God's prophet to represent God before his people. And Hosea is required to marry this harlot. And Hosea has conceived a passion of love for his wife. And he has to quite concretely, historically, endure the pain of his wife's infidelity and all the while maintain this irrevocable love for her. And so in this this very minor key, small scale, there's a foreshadowing of the mission of Jesus, who's more than a prophet. But there is this God's way from even already in the Old Testament is no one has ever seen God, the Father. He calls to whom he shows his heart and then turns that one toward his people and to see him. This is my beloved in whom I'm in his open heart, in his pain heart, in his pierced heart. See my own. 
And that, that showing of divine love, a love all-powerful, that it can endure sin, endure being forsaken by us, that self-showing, again, it's God's heart, but through the heart of, of one call, a chosen soul, that showing of divine love being but willing to endure the pain of continuing to love the sinner, willing to endure the separation uh, sin wrong, that showing is integral to the beloved eventually seeing what true love is. That's the exemplary role that divine love plays and that the prophetic role plays, the role of the prophet. And then we sinners in seeing through God's chosen one, seeing into the heart of God, we are inspired to mirror the love we see. And we're empowered by that love we see to mirror the love we now know. We'll continue the conversation with Dr. Turek and Evan Collins in our next episode. You've been listening to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek and your host, Evan Collins. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com as well as in the free Discerning Hearts app or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also view this conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. To learn more about the book on which this series is based, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel this worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. <laughs>